0: You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Today we continue in our sermon series studying the stories of ordinary people in the scriptures and asking ourselves where their story might intersect with our own. Some of the characters we've met with are familiar ones, some less so. Today I suspect is someone many of us have heard of before. A woman without a name, but a woman who is commonly referred to as the Samaritan woman. We meet this woman while Jesus is on his way. He has just left Jerusalem where he was celebrating with other Jewish people the festival of Passover and now he is traveling back up to the north of Israel to Galilee to continue his ministry there. So let us continue listening now for a word from God as we hear these verses from John chapter 4 beginning with the 5th verse. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now his disciples, John tells us, had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans, John tells us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Now our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came and they were astonished that Jesus was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Now many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit that it would draw near to us now. Indeed, O God, we pray that your spirit would alight upon our hearts so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are a lot of details to sift through in this reading, aren't there? Why was Jesus in Samaria, for example? If you had opened your Bible and read verse four, right before where we began, you would have read that Jesus told the disciples they had to go from Jerusalem to Galilee and that they had to go through Samaria. That's the language there. But that's not really true. You see, there was a well-worn path that Jewish people had been taking for centuries by the time we get to this story. A well-worn path that would have taken them quite a safe distance around Samaria, up there to Galilee. Jesus and the disciples could have just taken that path along with all the other Jewish people and avoided this encounter altogether. After all, Jewish people don't like to go to Samaria. Do you know why? Because there are Samaritans there and Jewish people and Samaritans well they don't really get along you have the time of day detail the story right before this story from John chapter 3 is the story of Jesus and a pharisee named Nicodemus and Nicodemus is another one of these characters with a whole lot of questions and he comes to Jesus to ask them but do you remember when he comes to Jesus in the night when he can keep things nice and hidden But here, Jesus and this woman, they have this encounter not at nighttime, but at noon. Not just in the day, but at the height of the day. What does light do? It exposes things, right? It's hard to hide anything in the bright daytime sun. And then you have the people. Jesus and this woman Not just any woman, a Samaritan woman, alone. I love how John just sprinkles in that little detail. By the way, the disciples ran into town to get food. I mean, Jesus and this woman, they're crossing every line you could possibly cross. And this woman, we are led to believe, is probably not just a normal member of her community. In fact, the people of her community have probably ostracized her. And the reason we know that is because of that time of day detail. People in the ancient world, and for that matter, people today in many cultures and places, they go to the well in the morning and in the evening. Because that's when it's coolest. They plan their chores around the movement of the sun and the heat that goes with it. But this woman is apparently at such the edges the periphery of her community that she has no choice but to go when no other women will be there because she knows where she's welcome and she knows where she's not a lot of details and all of that's before we even get to the whole living water bit right living water that doesn't just bubble up what does John tell us gushes up this isn't a stewardship pitch but last year anyone remember our stewardship theme John 10.10, celebrating God's abundance. John loves to play on this image of God's abundance. God doesn't do things small. God does things big. This living water, John tells us, gushes up in this woman. But you know, the most important detail in this whole story, I think, is probably the detail that is the most easy to overlook. Here this woman is with all of these questions. So curious. But not only that, let's not sell her shirt short. This is a courageous, bold person. I mean, she's asking questions of a Jewish man, but even more than that, a Jewish rabbi. And not only is she just asking questions, she's got her follow-up ready before she even asked the question. She's not going to let Jesus get away with any trite answer. She's going to keep pushing, and she does. She asks all of these questions until finally she gets around to the most pressing issue. It comes almost right in the middle of our reading today. She says to Jesus, "Sir, I see that you are a prophet." our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Now we hear this detail and we think, okay, does it really matter? Pick one. But this is the dividing issue for the Jewish and Samaritan people. This is the thing that people for centuries have staked their claims on. You see, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they worship the same God. They both worship Yahweh. And they all got along pretty well until the Babylonian exile, which happened maybe 600 or so years before this encounter. If you want to learn about the exile, come to Wednesday night this week. We're going to talk about it. They come back from the exile, though, as a divided people. In that time when they were taken into Babylon, the Jewish people more or less were able to stay intact, to keep up their customs and traditions. But the Samaritan people, history tells us, intermingled a little bit too much with the Babylonians. And so they came back and were perceived by their Jewish friends as now being ritually impure. And they began to live life separately. So the Samaritans, they get back and they build a temple for Yahweh, a temple for God. They're on Mount Gerizim, not far from Sikar. This is where God lives for the Samaritans. The Jewish people, meanwhile, they return from exile and they build their temple where? Doesn't have to be a rhetorical question, anyone? Jerusalem. Now, if God needs a house, how could God possibly live in two different places at once? That's what they're fighting over. Where do we worship God, she wants to know. But I don't think that's actually what she's really asking. I think what she's really asking is where is God? Because if you say God is over there in Jerusalem and we say God is over here near Sychar, well, which one is true? Because they can't possibly both be. And remember, too, that John is writing all of this in his gospel after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And by the time he's writing, this destructive event has happened in the history of Israel. The Romans have destroyed their temple in Jerusalem. So the original hearers of this story, this isn't some philosophical, theoretical question for them. They really want to know, our temple is gone, so where in the world is God? And Jesus answers her. Jesus says the day is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, I am he. Now if you get into the original language that this is written in, what you discover is that pronoun he isn't actually there. Not that I have any problem with he. What Jesus actually says is I am Can you all think of any other stories from scripture? I don't know, involving someone named Moses in a bush that's on fire, but not on fire and a voice speaking, speaking instructions to Moses to take his people out of Egypt. And Moses asks that voice a very practical question. Well, my people are going to ask me what your name is. What should I tell them? And the voice tells them, says, tell them, I am sent you. Jesus is revealing something earth shattering in this moment. He is telling this woman, God is not in your temple or in mine. God is now in Christ. God is literally in front of you. Friends, are you making the connection? Jesus is standing in front of us saying, God is literally in front of you. And I love what the woman does. This is my favorite detail of all the details in this story. John tells us that she leaves her water jar behind and she runs to tell that community of people who have pushed her away the good news that has just been revealed to her. She puts her water jar down. Think of everything that that jar represents. It is a literal tool for survival, for one thing. Without that, you don't get water from the well to your home and into your body. It's this tool that's heavy. No Tupperware or plastic jugs back then. It takes some work. It's big. You don't want to have to make 10 trips in a day. You want to make one, maybe two. I wondered myself if every time that woman didn't pick up that jar. She wasn't reminded of her past, of all the reasons that have put her there by herself in the heat of the high noon sun, that day and every day. Right, there's the detail about the five husbands, right? And the Samaritan woman has been drugged through the mud, I think a lot over history and in Christian interpretation at times of this story. Keep in mind, there are only two reasons someone would have more than one husband in the ancient world. The first is that their spouse died. And the second is that the husband divorced the wife. Didn't work the other way around. It was a one-way street. And the husband could divorce the wife for anything. But before you start thinking of all the dramatic reasons that maybe it could happen, think about the number one reason in an ancient society that someone would divorce their spouse because she could not bear children. She could not bring another generation into the world for the one betrothed to her. I think every time this woman picked up that jar, she felt the weight, the weight of all the pain and all the shame and all the guilt of her past. And she sets it down. She puts it down to run back to this community that has effectively told her, we don't want you. But the news that... (laughs) she has just heard as too good to be kept to herself. She runs back and she tells them, come and see. What are the words Jesus speaks to the disciples when he calls them by the Sea of Galilee? Come and see. You know, I wonder how many of us have come to the well today how many of us come to the well every day for that matter carrying heavy jars how many of us come to church parched for some good news i think a lot of us are carrying heaviness I wrote about some of mine in our Friday e-newsletter. Just the heaviness that I have felt and I suspect all of us to some degree or another about the global events unfolding all around us. I mean, the pain and the anguish of our Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel and Spartanburg throughout the world. It's unimaginable. I mean, to have more or the most Jewish people killed on a single day since the Holocaust, it's 2023. cannot imagine. Nor can I imagine the pain and anguish I wrote that all of the innocents, the millions of innocents on every side of this war that they're gonna bear and already have because if there's one truth we all know, it is that it is the innocents who always bear the greatest price when it comes to war. I've been thinking, too, about two visits that I've had an opportunity to make over the last decade to Israel, a remarkable place, a remarkable people, and in particular, I found as I was writing that newsletter blurb, my thoughts going to an organization that I was introduced to on my last visit in 2019. It's a group called the Parents Circle. There are about 600 families. and may be more now. I'm not sure. But there's one requirement to be a part of this organization. You have to be a parent who has lost a loved one to this decades long war, to this decades long conflict. Doesn't matter if you're Israeli or Palestinian, the only requirement is that you each know the pain and the suffering that the violence has caused. There are two fathers in this meeting who are sharing with us about this organization. The first was named Rami. Rami is an Israeli Jewish man. He's a retired Israeli Defense Force officer. He served in the Yom Kippur War. He told us about how he left that war with scars, both visible and invisible. He shared with us the anger and the resentment and the pain and everything that followed him for so many years and that were only multiplied when in 1997, his teenage daughter was killed in Jerusalem in a suicide bombing. She had just finished her first day of school and was walking with friends to pick up their books for the coming semester. Cannot imagine. Rami shared his story with us, sitting next to his self-described best friend in the world a man named Bassam. Bassam is a Palestinian Muslim from the West Bank. He fought the Israelis. He spent time in an Israeli prison, an experience, he said, that hardened him even further. And when he came out, he realized with age that he had a decision to make to either keep going down the path he was on or to choose another one. And he chose a path of peace. But that path was tried when his six-year-old daughter was shot by a soldier outside her school. I cannot imagine. That soldier was tried in an Israeli court, found guilty, sent to prison. At a sentencing, Bassam shared with us that he stood and he told that soldier that he could call him any And if he invited him to come and visit, he would. And he would forgive him. Two men. Two men who know the tremendous power of human pain and anguish. They described it to our group as being like nuclear energy. They said each of them realized that the power of their pain was so great that they could either harness it to create more pain and darkness or they could harness it to create light. And they chose the two of them to become founding members of this organization that seeks to bring people together for one purpose, The purpose, they say, is to put cracks in the walls. To put cracks in the walls of society and of individual hearts. By modeling what authentic love and peace between two people who have every single reason to hate one another. To model what that can look like. I can still feel the hair standing up on my arms just being in the presence of these two men. The power of their love and their story was magnetic. And it's only recently that I think I realized why that story was so powerful. Because it was being in the presence of two people who had chosen to set down those heavy jars, to set down the weight of their past and to invite others to come and see. Friends, all of us are carrying something heavy today. We are carrying the heaviness of our own past, of our own pain, of our own shame, of our own guilt. We're all carrying the weight of those things that we would frankly rather leave in the dark than have dragged out into the bright light of the day. But the power of this story is that the God who meets the woman at the well is the God who meets us, right? The power of this story is that the great I am is not one who detours around those hard places, but rather meets us precisely at those points of our greatest thirst. And so just like Rami and Bassam, just like the woman at the well, If we believe that story to be true, then we face a decision. We have to decide today, and we have to decide tomorrow and the day after, whether we are going to be the kind of disciples who keep drawing from that well that will never quench our thirst. We have to decide if we are going to be the disciples who allow that weight we are carrying to just generate more pain and more darkness. We have to decide whether we will be those disciples or if we will be like the woman who heeds Jesus' invitation to come and see. Come and see what is possible when enemies break bread together. Come and see what is possible when we let go of our thirst for easy answers. Come and see what is possible when we each put on that new identity Jesus offers her. We all know her as the woman at the well, but that's not her name. I wonder if we're not given her name, though, so that we can focus more clearly on the fact that here Jesus claims her by her primary identity, which is a child of God. We have to decide whether we are going to put on that identity, too. Right? Are we people who are going to come and see what is possible when we set down our jars? when we lit our faith, free us. When we run from this place to tell others the impossibly good news of a God that has freed us by cracking the wall in each of our hearts so that living water, that living water might finally not just flow in but gush in. Will we come and see what is possible when we invite others to the well of Christ's mercy? A well that has flowed into each of us so that we might let it flow out to the world around us. Will we come and see, friends, What is possible? I pray we will. In the name of the one who meets us this day and every day, amen.